as we dismiss our children, uh, pre-K, talk about um, glorifying the Father and worshiping the Father. One of the things that stuck out to me in relationship to just the series that we're in here is how when you read the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 and, and then even Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, we might talk about that later, um, how when you, talk, when you see this whole concept of glory, you see Jesus telling the Father, like, the glory you've given me, I've given to them, right? And, and then he connects that glory to us, right? He connects that glory to us being present in the world, sharing him, right? And Paul further connects that when he talks to us about us letting our light shine through so that the knowledge and the glory of God would be known unto the world and so even in connection to God deserving the glory there's even connection to that to the whole concept of us being present in the world proclaiming his glory to people the, the glory that the father has given us the glory that the son has given us we're supposed to be pushing that out allowing that light to go forth from us so that the glory of the Father may be seen through us. It's just interesting how all of everything that's connected to who the Father is, is it's also connected to the command and the mission to go and make disciples. When, when, you, when, you're, when you know what to look for in the scriptures, it just overflows. And everything, every lesson, every message, every illustration, how much God desires, requires us to be people that don't just receive his glory, hoard his glory, but share it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that it is true, God. I thank you for the worship this morning, God. I thank you for everything that you've been teaching us, myself. Uh, through our studies together uh, around the subject of multiplication and disciple making. And so, Father, I pray, God, that even as we conclude the John today, uh, Father, that you would be, uh, that you would speak, um, that you would give uh, a revelation to those of us who are present, God, that you would uh, press upon our hearts, God, to truly, truly embrace the idea of being disciple makers, not for our name's sake. For Paul says the gospel that we proclaim is not for our name. But God is for you. And that those will come to believe on the words that we have proclaimed. God, that in that you would be glorified. And so now, Father, I pray that you would even be glorified and, and through the message. And it's in Christ Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 Well, welcome to another message in our multiplication series or multiply series. Before I go here, I want to, um, it's, it's actually two great men's birthday today. The first one is my brother O'Rain. Come on now. Don't sit there and put your head down like you ain't know I'm about to say your name. He like, he better not. You know what I'm saying? It's my brother O'Rain's birthday. Man, I love that brother. <laughs> uh, I love that brother. His heart for the Lord, his heart for his family, his heart. Uh, to be a man and to pour into man and to see men be men. Um, definitely um, appreciate that, brother. Happy birthday. My bald-headed uh, twin. And then the other one, he's not here. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
think he's in Vegas or something. But <laughs> my dad, <laughs> it's his birthday today as well. And so just in case he might so happen at some point in his life, watch a service. Um, <laughs> you have heard me say it to you, from me to you. Uh, happy birthday to my father, um, truly one of the greatest men that I know. Um, a man that did things that men didn't do back uh, in those days to, to get out of jail, to figure out where his kids was, uh, to fight the system, to get custody and to take care of his kids. Um, and so one of the greatest examples of a man that I know and part of all that I am as a father and a man is pretty much mimicked after him for the most part, even the attitude parts, that's come from him too. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love my dad. He's, he's, he's a guy, I, he always says to me, like, I'm not allowed to not be a man around him. Like, not even, and, and I don't mean like macho man, but like, take care of what you're supposed to take care of as a man. He even, he called me yesterday, what, what was yesterday, Saturday? Was Saturday, Saturday? Either, he called me either Friday or Saturday, one of those days, that game. And um, I, was, I was doing something, you know, my wife was gone, so I'm like, I'm about to try to surprise her with a bathroom when she get back. Um, you know, she see the work in progress though, so that was good enough. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my dad called me because it was something else that I needed to take care of around my house as well. And he called me, he's like, well, well what, you, what you doing about that? Cause my babies and my you my my daughter with you and I'm like well pops it's a it's a problem you better take care of your business boy got time for you that's how that's how my dad that's literally what he says that's how my dad communicates with me I ain't got time for you little Leonard and uh <laughs> but uh yeah here we go and uh I shouldn't have said it um it's out there now. <laughs> And then, uh, and he also, if, if he sees me more than three times, and one of those times he doesn't see my boys with me, he's, I told you the boys supposed to be with you. <laughs> but they had the house with mine. They, you, you, they supposed to be with you. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, man, they, they, they can't come with me right now, Dad. I don't care. Take them with you. You was with me, boy. That's how you talk. You was with me, wasn't you? <laughs> But literally, but but that dude is man knows how to be a, a father and a man and provide for his family, and so I'm excited that he um, is wherever he at in Vegas enjoying uh, his birthday. Yeah, he in Vegas. He didn't even invite me, corny. He know if he invited me, he had to pay. But uh, <laughs> time. So as we continue in this series, uh, I think we're gonna actually finish uh, John today, and then, I don't know, I left room just in case, and then um, next week, I'm going to probably talk a little bit about Luke 5, and then um, after that, you know me, I'll be on a break in November, <laughs> um, and so you guys will get to hear from the other amazing people here that know how to bring the Word of God, but if you've been around, you know we've been in this Multiply series, and in this Multiply series, we're discussing um, disciple making, right, and if you've been with me for any amount of time, uh, at least in this series, you know that when I talk about disciple making, I'm not talking about discipleship, right? I make a difference between disciple making and discipleship. There should be discipleship in disciple making, but if you remember, discipleship is how we what? Huh? Come on, three. remember those three words I gave y'all last week? I said it's a real easy way for y'all to just remember it. So discipleship is how we, and disciple making is how we, come on, there we go. Look at that. Come on. I was listening. <laughs> Message. All right, so discipleship is how we grow, right? Disciple making is how we go, right? And so the difference is one focuses on my personal individual growth, and the other focuses on me extending myself for somebody else's personal and individual growth, right? And a lot of times we are fine with discipleship because we are very selfish people and we like about our own selves, right? But a lot of times we struggle with disciple making because it calls us to move past focusing on just us and to actually focus on the rest of the world, okay? And so 
My goal over the past three messages has been to help us recognize these different stages that people go through in the disciple-making journey by looking at John chapter 1, verse 29 through 42, which is where Jesus receives his first disciples, Andrew and John, <laughs> right? And so in week one, we saw kind of that first stage, which was proclamation, right? And I remember I said it's five stages, right? That first stage was proclamation, and that was John saying, hey, behold the Lamb of God, right? Before any disciple-making journey can happen, there must be a proclamation of the gospel. All discipleship journeys start with the gospel. If the gospel has not been proclaimed, you may be mentoring somebody, but you have not yet entered them into this disciple-making process, right? Then in week two, we talked about the investigation stage, right? So typically, once somebody hears, they begin to maybe be interested. Those individuals that God is drawing, they will take interest, and so they may begin to inquire. And we talked about how during that investigation stage, you are the person that they're observing, right? For them, they follow behind Jesus, but for us, people are looking at us to begin to learn something and see things about Jesus. Then in the third week, the third message, we talked about that third stage, which is the invitation, right? And so in that stage, we see Jesus. So John chapter 29, look, behold, the Lamb of God, verse 32, they begin to follow Jesus. Then Jesus turns around to them, right? And, they, and he says, what do you want? They say, Rabbi, that's very important. Remember that in this message, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you will see. And I talked about how that was an invitation. And I talked about how when people who were seriously interested in becoming a, a disciple of a rabbi, they would want to enter into the home of that rabbi to sit and learn cognitively from the, that rabbi. Right. And so when they asked Jesus, where are you staying? They were asking him, we want to come and sit and learn from you. And so they moved from observing at a distance to getting close in proximity and learning at the feet of Jesus. And I said, that's the invitation that as we have proclaimed the gospel and people are interested, maybe they're still skeptical. Maybe they still got a lot of questions. We are supposed to invite those individuals in to learn. And I talked about last week the the massive church plant church growth killer because i told all of you guys that the invitation is not an invitation to church right i know church growth killer <laughs> dang it <laughs> right it was so much church growth the our social media didn't even post that you're invited to church this week <laughs> it was like i think he told us not to i don't know if that's really what went to anybody's head <laughs> But I was like, dang it, I think I, think I messed up. <laughs> that, was a, that was like an air shot, but not a shot. But uh, <laughs> I just came, it was just there, it came to my mind. Holy Spirit. So, <laughs> so um, I told y'all that, and I meant it. That the invitation is not come to church, but the invitation is to walk with you, to enter into your life, to learn from you. And we talked about how Sundays are not for the unbeliever. And we walked through the scriptures to see that Sundays are about the believer, to be edified and to grow. And that our Sunday services shouldn't be so evangelistic focused because you should be doing that work throughout the week. But when we come in on Sunday, it is to be encouraged as believers to continue to press on and to worship the Father, right? And so we talked about that. And now this week, we're going to talk about the last two together because they kind of go together, and that is the realization. And as I was working on this, I was like, I probably should have used revelation, but maybe we'll adjust it later. But for now, it's the realization <laughs> and the declaration, right? So proclamation, investigation, invitation, now realization or revelation and declaration. Right. And we're going to put the realization and the declaration kind of together because they present themselves in the passage kind of together. Right. And it, 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 it says this in verse thirty nine, Jesus invites them to come. They spend the day with him. And then in verse 40, it says one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus. So one of the two, Andrew, who heard John proclaim that Jesus is the lamb 
right? He, 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 Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, right? So Andrew comes, oh, and then he brought, yeah, that's fine. Um, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means uh, Peter, right? Cephas, which means Peter. And so Andrew comes out of this invitation time, this spending time with Jesus, and he has a revelation or a realization, and that revelation or realization is Jesus is the Messiah. Because he comes out of that time, and he says, we have found the Messiah. Notice he's declaring that revelation to somebody else. We'll get there in a minute. But Andrew comes out, and he says, we have found the Messiah. And that statement we have found the Messiah, indicates that he now has this settled conclusion, right? His testimony, it it shows that whatever that time was that he spent with Jesus, that he got enough from it, he learned enough from it to come out of that time realizing that Jesus is the actual Messiah, that he is, remember last week, worth the follow. I'm going to keep saying Jesus is worth the follow until I get an email or something from some graphic designer, some t-shirt maker, some website person, some, some, oh no, that wasn't even at you. <laughs> Somebody sent me a design so I could get this shirt made. <laughs> Jesus, it could be words, it could be graphic, you know, any, I'm not even, you know, I'm just throwing that out there in the atmosphere, <laughs> right? But he comes out, he comes out realizing that Jesus is actually worth the follow. Because remember, he's been, they're being called to stop following John and follow Jesus, right? And this is why I wanted to stress last week how critical this invitation stage is for us. Because what happens in that season of that person who was on the fence, that skeptic, that person doubting, what happens in the intentional time that you spend with them can determine how a person comes out of that believing on Christ for whatever they're believing on. Now, understand something, just in case you are theologically astute and you're thinking in your head, is he saying that salvation is of of us alone? I'm not saying that, okay? Let's be very clear, right? I'm not saying that you can figure it out on your own, because if you remember last week, build upon everything that I'm saying, Jesus said, come and you will see. Right? And I talked about how that was an, an indicative verb that speaks to reality and actuality, not guessing. And so what Jesus said is, come in, sit, learn, be with me, and not you might come to, rev- to understand who I am, but you will see. And so Jesus is putting the work of revelation on him. He's putting the work of us sitting with him on us. As we come in, that's our responsibility, he brings revelation, okay? And that's what we see happening. Andrew went in, he received the revelation, okay? So I'm not saying it's all on you. So before, if you think that, that's not what I'm saying, right? But I am saying that this this stage is so critical because regardless of the sovereign ability of God, You will never see anywhere throughout the Bible where God is not operating in his divine authority through human agents. And so we have a responsibility. He uses us for the work that he needs to get done. And so Andrew makes this confession because he was invited in, right? And so he moved from skeptic to believer. And out of that time... He realized who Jesus was. Now, I talked to you guys last week in this invitation stage, and I want to simply stress it one more time that we have to continue to invite people into our lives for this one reason right here, that if we want people to see who Jesus is, we as disciples of Christ must invite people into our lives. 
We must invite people to walk with us, learn from us, see how we navigate the cares of this world. This is also why it's important that we learn how to navigate the cares of this world because people are watching us. And how we conduct ourselves in hardships and trials and tribulations and financial collapses and relational collapses and all of that tells, begins to communicate to the world whether they want the Jesus that we say can deliver us. If they want the Jesus that we say is our strength. And I'm not telling us to be fake and phony through whatever you're going through. Be real about what you're going through because people need to know you're going through it. But be firm on the strength and the refuge of the Lord so that as you conduct yourself in a different manner than how the world would conduct themselves in it, they see the power and the strength and the deliverance and the refuge of God in your life. And now they're saying, I need that type of peace in my life when I'm going through the things that I'm going through. Right? not telling you to fake it, but I'm telling you to believe God. That if you cast your cares on him, right? I'm asking you to believe God that you do not have to be anxious about everything and anything. But through all things in prayer and supplication, make your request known to him. And he, okay, he's just telling us to believe God. But the realization stage is a stage of revelation. A stage where the blind come to see. And I love how John calls Jesus the Lamb, right? And then during this invitation and during this investigation, Andrew calls Jesus Rabbi. John calls him the Lamb of God. Andrew comes in and he's like, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Right? And that terminology is important because it reveals how at that time they saw Jesus. Right? But seeing Jesus as simply a rabbi misses who he really is. He wasn't a great teacher. Right. He, he, he was the word of God. He wasn't just the, this, this great prophet. He didn't teach with great authority. He was the authority. He was the word. Right. In other words, calling Jesus rabbi was only being able to see him through the natural lens. And so many people today are doing the same thing. They'll tell you, oh, he was a good teacher. Oh, he was a good prophet. But the reality is, if he's not the Messiah, then he's neither good nor a good teacher nor a great prophet. Because he's lying. He's actually a false prophet and a false teacher because he would have lied about who he said he was. Right. And so there's only one choice, and that's to see him for who he actually is and to pray that we will receive the revelation of who he is. Now, pay attention to something. This fount language here tells a two part story. And I want us to focus in on this as we talk about this realization stage. Because it tells this two-part story. Because Andrew says, I, we have found the Messiah. Right? So Andrew discovers that Jesus is not just this great rabbi. He comes out of that time. He goes in that time, rabbi. He comes out of that time, Messiah. Right? He goes in that time seeing with the natural eye. He comes out of that time seeing with a spiritual eye. And so he says, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And, 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 and all that simply means is the anointed one. Right. David, Saul, all the kings of Israel, all were anointed. Right. Messiah just means anointed one. Christ means Messiah. Right. Just the word that got connected to the Hellenized Jews in that time. It's not his last name. He's just Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, not last name. You can call him Jesus and you don't need to add to Christ, or you can call him Christ, because somewhere around the second century, it just became one name. Like, Jesus Christ just became what you called him, and it's some biblical precedence for it. But Christ just means, it's not his last name, it means that he is the anointed one. However, this anointing goes far beyond David, King Saul, or any of the other kings, right? It, 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 it has many implications, and one day I may do a whole teaching on all of the implications of what it means to be the Messiah, but one of the biggest ones comes from Isaiah 42, verse 1, where it says this, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nation. All of the Jews were looking for this Messiah because they were looking for someone who would come and redeem them, someone who would judge those nations who were oppressing them. They were being oppressed. They were being in bondage, and they were looking for this Messiah, and they would understand that the Messiah is supposed to come and redeem them, to uh, free them from the uh, afflictions of their oppressors. And so they're in bondage. They're in 
serious physical oppression. And they're looking for the Messiah to bring them out of that. Andrew comes out of that and he says, we found them. Now, I want us to understand how serious this is. Because the fact that Andrew says to Peter, we found the Messiah, tells me that people have been looking for him. People have been so oppressed, such bondage, that they have been looking for the solution to the problem. The one who would free them, y'all know where I'm going, from their bondage. The one who would free them from their oppression. So much that even the woman at the well said what to Jesus? In uh, John 4, uh, verse 25, it said, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. She's like, yo, I'm looking for him too. Because we kind of settle this debate on who, whose mountain and well is really the better well. On what mountain should we really be worshiping? And so when the Messiah comes, he's going to put all things. And, and, and you can look at that as like he's going to put all things in proper place. But what she's also declaring, because they don't, they beefing, right, is when he come, he'll set y'all straight. He'll free us from this mindset that the Jews have put us in around who we really are. and fu- right. So she's even looking at this as a terminology of when he come, he'll tell us all things. He'll get things straight. He'll put things back in his proper perspective. But the point is she's communicating that they are expecting the Messiah to come. The land is looking for the one who would deliver them. They were in bondage and desperately seeking a solution, a way out. And while they missed that, Jesus came as the Messiah to be more than just a deliverer of their physical bondage, but also their spiritual bondage. We didn't miss it, but we shouldn't miss it, right? Romans 6, 4 through 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here it is. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus didn't come just to deal with the physical oppression, and the physical bondage. He came to deal with this spiritual oppression and this spiritual bondage. And you remember in Matthew chapter 7, when he looked at uh, the field, it said that he looked out and he saw that uh, the people were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. And because he had compassion on them, you heard me say this all the time, he says what? He says, pray unto the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers. Why do workers need to go into a field of people who are helpless and harassed? Because the gospel will set them free. And when they put faith in Jesus Christ, those who are in spiritual bondage will be freed from that. That's why the Bible constantly says we are free in Christ. It's not hidden from us. They missed it. They didn't get all that. They were just like, yo, come on, man, crush the Romans. (laughs) And out there right now, there are so many people seeking solutions from their bondage. But just like Israel, we think it's physical, political, medical, financial, relational, and all the else, right? We're looking for Jesus to fix everything else, missing that while he is able to free us from those issues, he is also here to deal with something far greater. He's also here to deal with the problem that all of those other problems rest on, right? And so we're coming to Jesus, seeking Jesus for a lot of physical freedom. And that matters. I am not, let me be very clear, I am not the person that tells you it's just a sin problem. No, it's a real problem. Sin may be the problem, but it's manifesting itself in real issues. So we're going to deal with the real issues, just like Jesus dealt with the real issues. Anybody that wants to tell you it's just a sin problem, just preach the gospel, just, I don't know, screenshot it, tag me something. I got you. But regardless of that, the problem is everybody is seeking a solution from oppression, from bondage, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical. But the problem is everybody is looking for it in counterfeit places. Now, this is important. 
Because when Andrew comes out, he's like, yo, we have found the Messiah. And I want you to understand something. If you just do any type of studies and any type of Second Temple Judaism, what you will find out is that other Messiahs had come. False, counterfeit Messiahs had come claiming to be the Messiah. And so Andrew was coming out of that thing like, hey, guys, I think we really got him. That means everybody else they were following behind, thinking that they were the Messiah, was a counterfeit. And we are falling into the same pit of deceit. Right? We think weed is our Messiah. We think alcohol is our Messiah. We think relationships is our Messiah. We think a better job is our Messiah. We are chasing after all of these things, trying to, hoping and praying that they will free us from whatever got us oppressed, whatever got us in bondage. We lonely, and so we want a boo, because we think a boo going to deal with our lonely problems. No, you need Jesus. I love what Jesus said. He said, I'm never alone. And I'm not trying to be over-spiritual here, but understand why Jesus said that. Because Jesus was so connected to the Father, he meant it. I'm not alone. He literally told him, you're going to all leave me, but don't worry, I'm not alone. Like, can we, what happens if we ever get to that place? Maybe we'll share the gospel a little bit more. Maybe we'll stop being afraid to lose all our friends because we want to be Christians in real time. And we'd be like, all right, I'm going to be a Christian. You may leave me, but I'm so connected to the fire. I'm never alone. And that doesn't mean you don't want real people to come around. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, you do got Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's low-key three. (laughs) You got a whole squad with you, always. You know what I'm saying? I got a low-key gang up in here, bro. I'm never alone. You don't see these jokers with me, boy? You better back up. Never alone, homie. Even when I look, even when you left me. I just, anyway. But people are in the world seeking something, but they're never coming to the realization that Christ is the solution. They don't come to the realization that Andrew came to. But how did Andrew come to that realization? Because somebody invited him in, Jesus primarily, invited him in to learn and to see that I am the one, the deliverer you've been looking for, the deliverer the land has been looking for, the deliverer that Israel's been looking for, the deliverer that the world's been looking for. I am he. It was, it was cool because Jesus was in the garden and Gethsemane, and we remember that, and then in John 17, he's praying, and then in John 18, he's betrayed. And they walk up to Jesus, and they like, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am. He. They fell to the ground. Got to get up. She's down on the ground. You're here to capture me. Get, get up. And I, imagine how, I got to go. Imagine how crazy this story is. I just need y'all to get this. This ain't even, I don't even know if this got anything to do with the rest of the message, but I just need to say this, because it hit me, and it's crazy. They came to arrest Jesus. <laughs> they said, are you Jesus? He said, I am he. They fell down. Worship. Oh, shoot. This is Jesus. <laughs> Who did you think you was coming to get, bro? <laughs> so Jesus, because if they don't get up, they won't fulfill prophecy. So he's like, come on, bro. You got to get up. <laughs> you got to get up. You got to take me. You got to take me. <laughs> I know you don't want to because you scared, low key. But listen, I, got, I promise you I'm not going to do nothing to you. But take me. So they asked him again. He said, I said, I'm he. Right? And then they take him. Peter jump out with the sword. You ain't taking him. Slide the ear off. He's like, bro, chill out. Come on. Peter, man. I need, they got, I got to go, bro. I know we, we can handle all of them. You see them just fall? I just said, we, we not worried. <laughs> but I need you to chill, homie. Listen, I know you cold with it, but listen. I need you to gang gang. I need, don't shoot them. We here on mission. Sometimes we got to let some stuff happen to us, right? Everybody, you can't shoot everybody. Sometimes you got to let them take me. You got to let them take me. We was, we was out there evangelizing and, and everything. And my Shanda and them was with us. And, um, and, um, and Lauren and my, and my I'm talking to these guys. And so they go, DJ and all of them about to go walk off. And my wife's like, nah, I got to stay. Right? Yeah, he by himself, man. Might have to shoot somebody. <laughs> I got to 
next day. <laughs> and it's like, I'm cool. Anyway, so the point, though, is Jesus is like, get up. You got to take me. But here's the cool thing about it. He then says, but let them go. I am who I am. You come from me, but let them go. And it says that he said that to fulfill the prophecy of John chapter 17, that says, I guarded them by my name, that I lost none that you had given me. And we can go super spiritual, but he's practically speaking, like literally, right then. <laughs> right? And I, and I look at that sometimes. I got to get back to this message. But I look at that sometimes, and I'm like, if, if Jesus' authority and power is as great as it is, and I'm always with him, and he's always with me, then that word does become true that I'll lose none that you've given me because I'm guarding them by my name. And here's what that means. Ooh, this is good. Here's what that means. And that midnight hour when that thing is coming against you, when you speak the name Jesus, they have to flee because my name will guard you. Jesus. Oh, shoot. Y'all they didn't say Jesus. Come on, man. We got to go, man. Jesus. Jesus won't let us. Right? When we get to this place of realizing as believers the name that we carry with us. And it's not a name. Understand something. Even in praying Jesus' name. It's the authority that comes with his name. That there is authority in the name of Jesus. That even the, they, were, they, were, they were just... um. I'm singing it. Uh, Keone said, uh, the honor, you deserve the honor because your, your name is all-powerful. You was adamant, but you said something about all-powerful. And John 17 says exactly that. I've glorified your name because you've given all authority to me. He is the one with all the power. So Andrew realized that the solution from God has arrived, and his name is Jesus. Now, what was his response? Well, he ran and got Peter. Abra, I found the Messiah. And this is the fifth stage of that disciple-making journey, the declaration. Right? Now, but I want you to pay attention. The only reason we know that Andrew have had, has had the revelation of who Jesus is is by his declaration of who Jesus is. Okay? The only reason we know that Andrew had a revelation of who Jesus is, was by his declaration of who Jesus is. All right, third time's the charm. The only reason we know that Andrew had a revelation of who Jesus is is because of his declaration of who Jesus is, meaning because he was fully convinced, he went and declared it, and we know by his declaration that he had a revelation. And so my question that I sometimes have to ask myself is, do we really believe it? Because if we're so afraid to declare unto the world who Jesus is, do we believe that we really found him? If we really believe that the whole world is seeking a deliverer, a solution from the oppression, from the bondage, and you really believe that Jesus is the Messiah, physical and spiritual, you have everything they're looking for, and you believe that he is the one who can bring deliverance, and you don't run to tell, what did Andrew do? He ran and got his brother. Hey, bruh, it is here. I found him. I'm excited. The brother is excited. Hey, there was a lot of counterfeits, but don't even worry about them counterfeits. The real thing is here. Go tell the world. Go tell all of Israel. Our deliverer is here. And everything that people are seeking as solution in drugs and alcohol and sex and finances and relationship is found in Jesus. Sustainable, always, never leaving, never failing, all powerful. You don't got to hit another blunt, drink another drink, work more overtime, all that other stuff you're doing. Have another bad relationship. Because they can't solve any of the problems to begin with. But we know that Jesus is the solution. And we're looking at a world of bonded people in bondage. And we keep talking about, I'm uncomfortable. And 
And maybe you are uncomfortable walking around the streets just talking to strangers. But my God, your family? Your friend? I mean, Andrew didn't go run to the world right now. He went to his brother. Hey, bro, I've got to at least tell you. I can't know that the deliverer we're looking for is here, and I'm going to not even tell you. There is a problem, church. If we really believe that Jesus is the solution, and we don't want to go and declare it, there is a problem, church. If we really believe that Jesus is the solution, and we are more concerned with comfort than freeing people from the bondage. There is a problem, church. <clears throat> the mark of someone who is truly convinced of who Jesus is, is they go and declare it to others. At least that's what I think we should do. At least I think we should. And I know it's kind of like, that could be a little convicting. Great, sit with it. <laughs> sit with it. Because some conviction is good. Some conviction is meant to move us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to come. And what are you going to do? Convict the world of sin. Righteousness and judgment. Conviction is good at times. And so the question that you have to wrestle with by yourself in your alone time is two things. Do I believe that he really is the solution? Or am I skeptical still? Or do I just not care enough about people to tell them? There's, I don't know a third option. Some people like that it's a gray somewhere in there, but in this situation, I think it's black or white. Now, maybe there's a gray and you just feel uncomfortable, but even still, I don't know how, how uncomfortable, in practical reality, I may be uncomfortable as a swimmer, but if I see a child drowning, I'm like, I got to try something. Right? So we will push through discomfort all the time. Right? And so I, um, okay, <laughs> I don't need to belabor that. Y'all got it. What is the reason why even those we love, we won't declare Christ to? Andrew became a proclaimer. Peter now investigates, and the cycle of disciple-making starts all over. Right? Andrew went and proclaimed it, declared it, proclaimed it to Peter. Peter comes to Jesus, and now he begins to investigate, and the cycle of disciple-making happens again. This is the cycle. <laughs> How do we be a disciple-making ministry? How do we be a multiplying ministry? Proclaim all the way through, moving a person to realization, pressing them to go and make this, to proclaim and declare the gospel to somebody else who now becomes Andrew, right? So Peter becomes Andrew, Andrew becomes John, and the cycle just keeps going like this. What's one plus one? That's simple multiplication. Well, that's addition, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> they like, brother, you sure? It's addition, but you know. What's one times one? That ain't two. What's two times one? Two. <laughs> there we go. Multiplication. <laughs> and so if I tell you guys that we got a goal to simply see 30 people get baptized by the end of the year, that shouldn't be a difficult goal. Because all it means is for the next two months-ish, walk with one person <laughs> that doesn't know the Lord. Impress with them. Commit your time to them. I'm rocking with it. Make sure they want to, you to commit. Don't waste your time either. Because if you waste your time with somebody that's not really seeking, then you actually miss the person who is seeking, right? So you got to be able to remember the investigation period. They were asking Jesus to come and learn. So they were showing that they were really interested. But just one person, just one person before the end of the year and multiplication happens, boom, 30 becomes 60. That doesn't seem that bad to me. That doesn't seem like that crazy of an ax for me. But this is how multiplication occurs. But sadly, the church in America has put a period after realization slash revelation. 
instead of restarting the cycle by declar by, with declaration. Is that making sense? Okay. Now, remember I said that the language is a two-part story, right? That found language. And so the second part is the language found indicates that something is lost. Now, you may be sitting here like, but Jesus ain't lost. Correct. Jesus is not lost in reality. However, it is really important for us to understand this always. Christ is lost to those who are blinded by deceit. Jesus isn't lost. But he's lost to those who are blinded by deceit, so they can't see him. Right? And this is another deliverance that occurs. Right? Because Christ comes, according to John 9, 39, Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment. Right? In order that those who do not see will see, and those who do not see will become blind. Now, you may be asking, why in the world would Jesus make people who can see not see if we're talking about spiritual blindness? Well, he was dealing, in that statement, he was dealing with the spiritual leaders who refused to see him. So he was like, in your refusal to actually see me, you become blind. Right? But those who will actually see me, those who will actually come to me, I'll open up their eyes. Right? But the ones who think their eyes are so open, they think they already know it all. Can't nobody tell them nothing. They don't think they need you. He's like, well, you going, you got you eyes wide open, blind to death. But the person who recognizes, I know nothing, I just need Jesus, he says, I open up their eyes. Right? He's going to deliver the world of spiritual blindness. Okay? But why are people blind? That is why nobody's seeing. But why are people blind? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says people are blind because the enemy is deceiving them into blindness. He is keeping them blind from seeing Christ by distractions, by everything in this world, right? We get so focused on everything in the world, Christ is in front of us, the solution is in front of us, and we don't even see it. He says the God of this world, the God of this age is blinding the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Right? People are following counterfeits, unable to see that they're leading themselves into greater places of oppression. And I hope you all paying attention because this is where it makes sense. So if that's why they're blind, why are they remaining blind? Well, for some people, they refuse to want to see. But for a lot of other people, it's because nobody is actually going to open up their eyes. And so they're running to sex to fill a void of self-worth, and, and then they get a sex addiction or shame, shame, which is a deeper level of oppression. Right? They're running to weed and alcohol only to become addicted and codependent on it. Now they can't heal that or stop using it. Right? The point is that these counterfeits we follow because the enemy has blinded so many from the true authentic deliverer keeps us in more chains. And it never delivers us from the reason that we went to it in the first place. Here's what I mean. The alcohol that we went to to deal with our anxiety or our stress doesn't actually deal with the anxiety of stress. It puts on another chain. So I came to it with anxiety and stress. I took a shot thinking it would take these chains off, and all it did was put another chain on. Because now I'm in bonded to it. Right? And so the things that we run to other than Jesus, it just adds more chains. It never actually takes any off. And this is why discipleship has to be so important, why it has to be patient, patient and important. Why? Because some people come to Jesus with a lot of chains. Some people come to Jesus with a lot of chains. And so sometimes you're getting that one off. <laughs> And they still acting like the other ones. Well, that's because I'm still on. <laughs> right? But sometimes we got to focus on this one. Pick a chain. Pick your battle. What's the one we need to deal with right now? Right? They ain't going to all drop off at the same time. I know what Tasha said. Yeah. 
He has the authority and the power, and he will if we continue to submit. But he never said today they're going to all fall off. It's a process because some of us have so much on us that when we come to him, we got to be patient. We got to be patient with the person that we're dealing with. And sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes you want to just be like, get it together. But sometimes you got to realize that if you do that, another chain. Right? So we got to be a little more patient. Now, you got to be wise enough to know when to press, too. Patience is not tolerance. Okay? You got to know when to press with the person you're discipling. You got to know when to identify, uh, I'm not dealing with that today. But you also got to know when to be like, it's time that we deal with this. I'm going to talk about that in one minute. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God's glory in the face of Jesus. Paul says the enemy is blinded, and the way that we open up their eyes is we who have the light go and shine it on the world. Now that we have come to realize, we go shine the light of Christ so that others will come to see also. And that's what Andrew does. Right? It's the job of those who have revelation to declare to those who are blind and lead them to the light. That's the disciple-making journey. Now, imagine if every last one of us did that, right? Now, I want to say something in connection with this, and then I'm done. <laughs> A lot of times, you can hear me moving through these stages, and you may think one stage after the next stage. But I want us to realize something. The invitation stage never stops when revelation happens. Discipleship is not a catch and release. Okay? That's why I have this little phrase that I use. It's, it, I always have phrases that I connect with stuff to always keep me remembering that discipleship is not a catch and release. Because it's easy. It's easy in, in a statistic-driven world. Right? It's the big stage and 500 people there. And you sit up there and you do a sinner's prayer. And 300 came up to the altar. And then you go home and you get to say, I saved 300 people. You get to add just a check mark. I saved 300 people today. Did you? Was there any follow-up? Where are they at now? Did you connect them with a church? Did you walk with them? Yeah, we get to say we saved 300 people. But no, really all we know for sure is 300 people came up here. And I'm not saying they had counterfeit confessions. What I'm saying is if you ain't walking with them, you don't know what happened with them. And the Bible that I read tells us that the enemy will come and snatch that seed. And so we're running around boasting on big crowds, but and you ain't walk with none of them. Can look in the I got people saved box. But I don't want to be that person, so I got this terminology. And it's as God sees them, I see them. Right? As God sees them, I see them. I see M. Okay, stop it. I see M. <laughs> interest, I stands for interest. And what that means for me is when I'm engaging with somebody, I'm always trying to figure out. How do I find what interests them so that I can enter into that place with them, right? So my proclamation is going to be connected to some form of interest. How do I find what they're into, enter into that space, and begin to proclaim from there, right? Then my goal is from interest, that's proclamation, to conversion, that's the C. So I'm trying to move that person who was just interested, investigating, to actually making an Andrew confession. To get to a place of saying, Jesus is Lord and I believe on him. But then we have to go to the next stage, which is maturity. So my disciple-making process is from the unbeliever to conversion and the believer to maturity. Once a believer realizes who Jesus is... The disciple-making process isn't, even, isn't over. It's now time to start the next leg of it. And we have to get to that point, right, that, you're, that a person's yes to Christ doesn't mean your responsibility to them is over. <laughs> Unless, of course, God moves them, right? But the first invitation is about coming to Christ. The second invitation is about growing in Christ. And I was going to say, can I be honest? But you know I'm going to be that anyway. 
we have to be better at not just releasing people that said yes and being able to say yes. We got saved. I got some people saved. And here's why. <coughs> I'm about to hurry. Give me three minutes. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 says this. Check this out. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. I want you to notice a few things that Paul says about the new believer. Well, first thing is he calls you a baby. Babies. And I remember I was baby in Christ, but thought I was like big dog. And so I remember my homegirl, Toya, Kareem, I don't know if you remember. We was an R12 Bible study. We was at Cliff House. And me and her was kind of beefing. And we was going back and forth because she's like, you think you know everything? I was like, a year in. I did, too. And I thought I knew what I'm saying. And so I remember she, and so it was so funny because literally in that moment, there was a baby in the room cutting up and hungry and acting up. And she looked at me. She's like, that's you. <laughs> and I remember I got salty because I'm like, you trying to play me first off. I ain't no. But the point was I was. And she used that image to connect something. That when a person comes to Christ, no matter how big dog you think you is, you a baby. You the infant. And Paul says that discipleship is important for two reasons here. The first one is because if you simply catch and release, the baby will grow in age but not behavior. You will be saved for 30 years but still act like you six months. If we don't disciple people, they just be in church for a lot of years, but they never grow. And we know this is true. Right? So they 60. They, they're, they're three month old in a 60-year-old body. Benjamin Button. I said, that's what we're going to call it. <laughs> you old young out here. <laughs> but Paul says... I could not address you as mature, but I had to address you as people of the flesh, babies. <laughs> Paul says, you're a believer, but when you're an infant, I can't tell your behavior apart from an unbeliever. Right? And let's just be honest. Most people and most of the immaturity in the church is because, not because everybody is false converts. That's easy. To just say they don't really believe. That's easy. But I don't believe everybody's a false convert. I think they babies. And babies look like unbelievers. And the problem is not to call them a false convert. The problem is to look at you and say, has anybody walked with them? Has anybody discipled them? Maybe they'll grow if somebody fed them. Okay. Years ago, and Kareem can attest to this. I got to go. I said, okay. <clears throat> Whatever. Kareem had attested this. I said it years ago. Kareem, I think he was one of the people that kind of hit me with this. But, but years ago, I made up in my mind. I said, I'm never going to judge somebody's behavior necessarily if I'm not willing to walk with them. Right? And we just had a conversation about this. I was like, ah, if I'm walking with a person, I'm going to make a decision on how I feel about their life because I'm connected to them. I'm walking with them. But if I don't know them, all I can say is, ah, they look a little interesting, but I don't really know because I haven't walked with them. I don't know if they believe. I don't know if they don't believe. I haven't walked with them, so I can't say that. Now, if I'm walking hand in hand with a person, I might make that judgment. I know y'all don't like that word, but Jesus said judge with right judgment. He didn't say don't judge. Make right judgment. Discipleship. Walking close to somebody allows me to really investigate their life and determine what's really happening. Right? But here's the thing. Paul says the, unbelie the baby in Christ looks like an unbeliever, and so if you see me yelling at my kid, y'all ladies, because y'all done said it to me, be like, he's just a baby, leave him alone. What do you expect? Well, if we just catch and release then, what do you expect? They just babies, doing what babies do, having fits, selfish, wanting everything for themselves, bad, lying, sinning. That's what babies do. They don't even know they're sinning, but they be straight up sinning. You eat the cereal? No, you're a little liar. 
even know. they just babies. They're doing what babies do. But then Paul says that they're unable to deal and receive deep truth. I got to hurry. Milk, not solid food, because until they grow, they can't digest it. Reason number two why disciple making must extend past a confession is because somebody got to feed the baby. Somebody got to feed the baby. Y'all like, quit calling me a baby. I don't know if you're a baby. I'm just using the language. Everybody know there's some babies right there. Bet you she put that baby down on his feet, he's going to fall. I bet you when that baby get hungry, she got to pop out a bottle or whatever else, right, to feed that baby. <laughs> and we all know as parents, especially us bottle baby parents, have been in that age where we done tried to prop that cover up underneath that bottle because this baby going to learn how to feed itself. I'm tired. Somebody got to feed the baby, though. And this ain't even deep spiritual stuff. This is just basic. We know this. Right? Newborn, newborns need to be fed. And they can't hold their own bottle. Now take that image and think of someone coming to Christ, being made new. Whole life is about to change. Don't know how to walk this way or that way. Somebody got to walk with them. Somebody got to hold the bottle and feed the baby. The invitation to see your life is critical because you have to know the baby, right? You got to feed the baby, and the way they grow is because you know the baby. As parents, you got to know when to stop giving that baby one ounce and give it two ounces. You got to know when the baby's ready for cereal. You got to, right? But you only going to know that because it's your baby. If I come and be like, feed that baby some more food, just because your baby eat a lot, mine can't handle it yet, right? I know my baby, right? And in disciple making, when I'm walking with somebody, feeding the baby... I can gauge when the baby is ready for deeper food, deeper knowledge, deeper wisdom. I do this all the time, and we've had conversations recently about it, and it aggravates people. But I gauge what I want to say, when I want to say it, and how I want to say it based upon where I believe people are at. I just do it all the time. Sorry. I don't address everything because sometimes I'm like, That's, I'm not addressing that. Sometimes I'm addressing it like I'm addressing that. Because I'm walking and I'm gauging. And if I don't know, I'll be like, I don't know. I'll call somebody that's walking with them. You walking with them? You see that? Hey, have you been talking to them about this? No, I haven't talked to them about that. Okay, start talking to them about this so we can start addressing it. Can't address something we ain't talked about. Right? But you got to know. And, 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 and the world will tell you the pastors is out there withholding information. I'm not withholding nothing from you. I just know if I give you that, you're going to choke and die. And it's my job to not kill you. My job to nurture you to growth, not to kill you. You can't just stuff a steak in a baby mouth. I don't care how good you think it is. <laughs> I got to go, y'all. I'm on a rant right now. I got to go. It's 117. But let's connect the milk and solid food really quick. Ephesians 4, 11, 14. And he gave himself some to, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints with the work of the ministry to build up to the body of Christ until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of our son, growing in maturity with the stress, with the stature measured of by Christ's faithfulness. Then we will no longer, here it is, be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and teachings of deceit. Notice he says that teaching is about maturity. And teaching is about food. And that's what he says to the Corinthians. And so the problem is milk doesn't protect against false teaching. And the reason we have to move into disciple making is because milk doesn't protect the believer. Right? Babies' bones don't, ain't strong yet. Right? And so they, they, they're more susceptible to danger and they get harmed. And as long as we keep, if a person stays on milk too long, they never, it's not beneficial to them. And so the enemy is able to come in and snatch you away with every false teaching, every cool saying, every clever thing that's happening in the world because you've never moved from milk to solid food and you never moved from milk to solid food because you've never been discipled. And so we disciple to move a person past milk. And so, again, I'm convinced that many people who don't hold to their confession were not all false converts, but they just weren't discipled. And so Paul wants the church to mature. So that they won't be deceived by teaching. We want to grow in discipleship and in our words so that we aren't deceived by all of the false teaching and the doctrines of demons out here. So it's not just about converts, but the goal is to develop fully mature disciples of Christ. Who go out and make fully mature disciples of Christ. And so we have to stop not going and we have to equally stop catching and releasing. 
right? I have no desire for people to look at us and not see us as a disciple-making ministry, right? But I look at us as a church that needs to be a church that makes disciples, that walks with a person from proclamation all the way back to declaration to start the cycle over again. And so this is the journey of a disciple. Proclamation. Investigation. Invitation. Realization or revelation. And declaration. I'm going to give it to Rain now.